coming up on today's show. The best weekend of the football season is here. My picks are 3-1. and one. I'm correctly predicting coaching hires left and right. Joe Stradamus, my ass. It's Hawk Stradamus now. Thursdays are for the players. Our former teammate, Josh McCone, calls the show to explain how he managed to pull a hamstring standing still. Skinny, fat, 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 and the age-old question. What body parts would you trade for a Super Bowl? Mike Grable, your daily whacker is on the table. All of this and much, much more on another Guinness Book of World Records setting episode of the McTomahawk Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tomahawk Show. That is right. You are listening to the world's greatest podcast right now. I am your humblest of hosts, Joe Thomas, with me as always. The wonderful, the handsome, the probably hungover, Mr. Andrew Hawkins. Andrew, you're just back from Vegas. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I actually got a full 12 hours in because I did zero partying in Vegas, and I was there for a total of, I think, 22 hours. And I went there, and I went to an event, and I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I had a meeting, and I flew right home. Jet Sweet X, Joe. Get familiar. I was was just going to ask you who... If it's not top secret, uh-huh. were you meeting with out in Vegas? Probably it, one of your huge hedge funds or maybe one of your venture ca- capital It actually is very, very top secret. I will say, if you're wondering which portion of me was out there meeting, um, it's the business portion. Um, oh. Not to be confused with the entertainment portion of Andrew oh. Hawkins or the football portion, who has mm. long since died. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I took Jet Sweet X. This is a free advertisement. They didn't pay us. Don't think this is mm. an ad, and I probably shouldn't talk about it. But it's a really good experience. Are you familiar with JetSuite X? I would love you to tell me more. So JetSuite X flies out of L.A. and it goes to Vegas. It goes to the Bay. It goes to Phoenix. And I think they're adding a couple more legs. But it's essentially like it's, it's a small plane, but it's like nice and new. And there's like 30 to 35 seats on it. Um, but it's almost like a private jet. So you show up. The flight leaves at 2.30. I show up at like 2.10. I walk right on the plane. The plane takes off. Hour flight, you land. And from your from the plane to the front door where the Uber picks you up or where you violated, it's no BS, probably 45 yards. And it's the most seamless traveling you ever do. It's like taking a car to Vegas in the air. And it's I'm I'm just a big fan, man. So So are you an investor? I yes, I am an imposter. That's we've we've <laughs> long since established <laughs> that here on the Tom yeah, Hawk Show. About that. But I don't want to make it sound like it's um, an actual private jet because it's not. It's they're at private jet um, airport hangars, but the mm-hmm. prices are are cheaper sometimes than commercial. So you can get if you buy a flight, you know, two months in advance, one way is like sixty bucks to fly to yeah, any right. of these places. An- enough advertising. I just need to know: Are you an investor or why are you affiliated with them? No, I I just really enjoyed the experience, and I'm trying to be authentic. That I if when I enjoy experiences, I want to talk about it. And when someone pisses me off, I also plan to come on here and air out their company that your company oh. sucks. So cool, weird way to start the episode, but here we are. You asked about Vegas, Joe. I got a question for you to start this off. We were having this debate. I was expecting a cool story from yeah, Vegas, no, but uh, yeah, no, no, anyways, no cool story. Uh, I should have known you better. Meetings and sleep, um, and then checking up was to to see who who's hiring who. And I had a really good Twitter thread that got a lot of love, and I, I was feeling like the smartest guy in the world. Um, but we had a debate here at Uninterrupted Offices. Is it better to be skinny fat or um, fat fat? Does that make sense? 
Yes. Uh, I would say it is better to be fat, fat, because yeah. at least you're true to yourself. Okay. You're, you're honest. That's an like authenticity thing. The authenticity of being fat, fat is like, you know what? I really like to eat. I'm not a big fan of working out, and this is just me. Yeah. Whereas skinny fat, I feel like it's uh, lipstick on a pig. It's like yep. you're trying to wear clothes to make it look like you're not fat, but yeah. as far as being all in on like the fitness and the eating healthy and stuff, you're just you're just not about that life. Yeah. So I, I would say fat fat. I, I think by a, a nose hair, and that's what I am. I'm skin- I get skinny fat. So like I'm clothes, you, you can't fat. tell that I'm fat, but then when I I'm take my clothes off, you can see my gut, like because it just goes right to the midsection. So I got the tire. That's just because it's filled constantly with Domino's pizza and Mountain Dew. There's Literally, still no fat on your body. You just have a large stomach that's full of caffeine and sugar and high carbohydrate meals <laughs> producer john can vouch for me literally within the last hour and a half having a full pizza and a mountain dew and a rice krispie treat <laughs> for lunch <laughs> so here's your opportunity to drink so after uh i gave myself between thanksgiving and new year's day uh eat whatever you know holidays go screw off i was still working out but i was eating like andrew hawkins and then yeah from January 1st until spring break. Now I'm like, all right, it's time to get serious. So this last week I got back on keto. I started my fasting again and I've been pretty much fasting until dinner. So just one meal a day. Uh Um, and I'm feeling a lot better already. It's amazing how quickly you can like get back into that routine and all of a sudden you're feeling good again. But, uh, I only brought that up because I want our viewers to be drinkers tonight. So we're going to be dropping as many Tomahawk drinking game references as possible. But anyways, if you want to interact with the show, there's a million ways to do it. Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, at Tomahawk show. The Facebook group, of course, is the Tomaflock. Call the voicemail line, which is always my favorite part of the show. It's 440-628-1376. Check us out on YouTube, on Uninterrupted's YouTube page. Every show we do is available on YouTube. And now it's time for a playoff preview edition of 3 and Out. Three and- hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get to 3 and Out, Joe. Damn. Um, Are you I not going to acknowledge that I incredibly predicted most of the NFL coaching hires. I'm looking through the rundown, right? Now, producer John is a Giants fan, and he writes these rundowns. And throughout the season, like literally every freaking week, there's some tab in here about the New York Giants It's in there um, that we don't give a shit about. And I am scouring here to find it, and I cannot. Bottom of page four. Hold on. <laughs> Bottom of page No, ask producer John how he feels about the – no. I'm not. I'm talking about me predicting. That's a setup for you to be able That's to talk about setup, it. That's not a setup, man. Like a setup is, give me. You give details on everything, John Hawk. You want to be praised out and out praised? Yes. I get one Giants take right in my entire <laughs> life, and you just want to skim right over it. See, being we've a, talked about Danny Dimes being the future <laughs> every single week for I was seventeen go, weeks. I was going to shout you out because I didn't want you to have to shout yourself out. <laughs> I have no problem shouting myself Actually, out. I figured everybody that, knows clearly. that that listens to this show. It's pretty much the, the basis of the entire Tomahawk show. All right, I follow you on Twitter. I've seen you shout yourself out. I was going <laughs> to shout you out, so you didn't have to do it. All right, we'll put a well, pin in it till the bottom of page four. Yeah, let's do this in order. We're going to do this thing in order, all right? I'm in charge today. I'm going to do this in a structured, orderly manner. There's a reason you have rules. Right. So things can operate efficiently and effectively. So we're going to go right now to three and out. Three and out. All right, so in three and out, 
Um, it's the divisional round playoffs, and we got four games. Eight of the best teams in the NFL. Producer John is going to tee up three questions for each game, and at the end, Joe and I will pick a winner. Update on the picks contest: Hawk three and one. Yep. Joe zero oh and four. Yep. He is <laughs> terrible. Good thing there's four more chances this week to come back. There you go. First wait. game Saturday afternoon: 49ers at Vikings. First down. Kirk Cousins faces Kyle Shanahan. Drink his former OC in Washington. Question for you guys. When a QB faces his former OC, who has the advantage? The QB who knows the coach's strategies or the coach who knows the QB's tendencies? So this is an easy one for me. All right. If you're the coach, you have an opportunity to affect strategy throughout the entire offense and defense and the entire team. So you have the advantage because you understand the quarterbacks, not only his tendencies, but the scheme with which he plays because you coached him in the exact same scheme because uh, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers are running the exact same system right now. It's the mm-hmm. Kubiak-Shanahan system. So Kyle is going to know the things that always have given Kirk problems within his system and will be able to help his defense come up with the best ways to attack Kirk and his offense. And so it's all about attacking his weaknesses, forcing him to play to his weak hand, right? It's like in basketball, you're making him go left mm-hmm. and it's not as easy in football because it's not always as obvious as, oh, he, he can't go to the left or he can't spin one way or the other. Um, but as a quarterback, it doesn't really help knowing the offense from your former coach because you're playing against the defense. Like you might get some tips right. from the guys around you, but for the most part, it doesn't really help much at all because you're dealing with what you need to do versus your defense. And as a player, you're dictated the strategy. You might have a little bit of input on the calls from the game that you'd like. Maybe let's favor this call on third and seven because we practice it well during the week. But by and large, you're not a big part of the game plan. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give the benefit to whoever has Kyle Shanahan. That's that's the question. That's the answer <laughs> to the question. And drink up for that. Because everyone's running the diet version of the system he knows best. Mm. And even though Kubiak is there and he's been in it a while, and yes, he's a great coach, um, Stefanski and those guys, they, they're they not going to be able to do it. I bet you Kyle Shanahan has spent the entire week with Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. He hasn't even looked at the offensive side because the offense is going to handle itself. He spent the entire week with Robert Sala and tell them every tendency, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, why it doesn't work, why it won't, you know, why it's not run the exact same way. So benefit goes to Kyle Shanahan. Seahawks. I'm going I'm to push back quick, though, because you, you okay. said the diet version here. But it is. if anybody is running the same scheme as Kyle, it's Gary Kubiak. Because Kyle was Gary's receivers coach when Kyle was like 27 years old yeah. when they were in Houston together. And so really, Kyle, yeah, it came from Mike Shanahan, who worked with Kubiak the first time. Right. But Kubiak's the one that's currently in the NFL that's been running this version, at least the uh, foundation of this scheme longer than anybody else in the NFL. Uh, now, if you were going to say that the LA Rams were the diet version of Kyle, I would say, yeah, yeah, okay, because McVay learned from Kyle in Washington. But as far as the genesis of this offense, Kubiak knows it just as well as Kyle. Now, Kyle has deviated a little bit yes, because of his time with Robert saying. Griffin and how he adapted a lot of college concepts. And actually, I give Kyle a lot of credit for Shocker, the changes that we see in today's NFL. Breaking news on the Tomahawk show. Joe Thomas gives Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can write but no, I had back. this conversation today. I was on the Cowherd show, and I, I forget which. Uh, I did a bunch of interviews today. 
Um, for some reason, they, they were calling me. I think they thought the Browns were going to hire a coach. Uh, <laughs> I'm the unofficial Browns coach s- spokesman since I got five of them fired. Right. When you don't answer, they call me. Yeah, I, I, I kill that. That's my best role. It's like a Rooney rule situation. They're like, yeah, call Joe, but also call Hawk just to make sure. Uh, but I, I said Kyle actually should be the one getting the most credit for today's modern NFL offense because when he drafted Robert Griffin, when he was there with Mike Shanahan, Kyle, I remember sitting in a meeting room and talking with Kyle about it, and I was like, where did you come up with this stuff? Because it was the first time I'd seen the zone read, RPO type stuff that he was doing with the jet motions and the orbit Mm -hmm. motions and the way he was incorporating the college concepts into his wide zone outside running scheme, especially with the pistol uh, and various different things that they like to do that was really new in the NFL. And he said when they drafted Robert, he actually watched all of Robert's college games and then watched a bunch of college concepts and took those concepts and brought it into and integrated into their scheme. And that's what you see a lot of these successful dual threat quarterbacks and uh, wide zone type schemes running right now. And Kirk Cousins is no different. Second down, hypothetical nonsense. If the winner of this game was decided by a contest between the two head coaches... Zimmer and Shanahan. What is one competition that Zimmer would definitely win, and what is one competition that Shanahan would definitely win? Hawk. Mm. Uh, Shanahan would win a Lil Wayne karaoke contest, <laughs> and Zimmer would win most f words under a minute in the Guinness Book of World Records. Kyle Shanahan would win his own drinking game because he went to the University of Texas. And uh, back when we were regaling each other with stories of our college days, apparently he used to be quite the partier back in his college days. Uh, So drinking game going to Shanahan. Mike Zimmer, he's going to win a staring contest because when he gets mad and he just stares at you, he he puts a hole right through your soul and he has an eye problem don't mean to make jokes about a medical condition but uh he's had all sorts of eye surgery so i'm not even sure he might have a glass eye right now you don't think his eyes are real got it as we know you don't have to blink a glass eye okay all right apologies to him and his family third down who you got vikings at niners joe I actually like the Niners here. I know that's a crazy take. Wow. I think (laughs) with uh, what Kyle has been able to do for two weeks, being able to prepare for both teams, of course, but knowing this scheme so well like he does, I think being the head coach, he's got more influence over how the entire team plays. Even though Zimmer and his team have seen their offense the whole year, uh, I just feel like Kyle has his fingers in so many things. He's going to be able to use his knowledge of that offense and that defense to his advantage more than Zimmer will. Um, You know who the hardest person to lie to is? Yourself. Well, yes, yourself. That's one. You know the second hardest person is? Your wife. You know why? Because your wife knows you. She knows before you even think about the lie. Like she knows that your left eye twitches every time you're telling a lie or your lips start to quiver or you look down at your shoes, right? And that's what Kirk Cousins is going into Shanahan right now. He's going in there trying to to tell him a lie and there's nothing he's going to do that Shanahan won't already know. So he's going to know everything he does bad. He's going to know every tendency to even go back to the first question because he knows him so intently because he was about to give him $100 million. And when you put $100 million into anything, you want to know everything bad about it. Shanahan knew that he's going to expose that this week. My only reservation about picking the Niners is the fact that Joe also picked the Niners. Mm. That's the only reason I'm, I'm like, man, I might not have picked the right one based off Joe's wildcard weekend record. So, 
if history has any indication on the future, you're screwed if you pick the 49ers because <laughs> they're going to lose. Now, cut that up, and we might have to put that back on here if Kirk Cousins actually does the impossible. Saturday night, second game, Titans at Ravens. First down. When asked if he would cut his dick off to win a Super Bowl, Mike Vrabel said, quote, probably. Do you guys believe him? <laughs> Joe? Uh, uh, what's the question? If I'm going to cut my dick off to win a Super Bowl or if I like what Mike Vrabel said? If the if the Aladdin genie came to Mike Vrabel tonight and made that offer, do you think he so, would say yes? No. Here's the thing. His and this is like this pitch. goes back to the history of football and the, the machismo that's just like built into the fabric of this sport is that everyone has to walk around pretending that there is nothing on the face of the earth that they want more than winning a Super Bowl. And like if you ask... Uh, let's say Mike Vrabel, Peyton Manning. Oh, okay. Would you give up every cent you've ever made in the NFL or would you give up your Super Bowl trophies? He's supposed to say, I would give up every cent I've ever made. If you ask Tom Brady, would you rather give up all of your family, all of your friends and be a hermit living on an island in the North Pole for the rest of eternity, but you get to keep your six <laughs> Super Bowl rings? He was supposed to say the Super Bowl rings, right? Just like Mike Vrabel is supposed to pretend that he doesn't want his wee-wee. Yeah, he would rather a win a Super Bowl than continue to My keep his wee-wee. Hawks mom's very <laughs> proud right now. Uh, I don't believe him. I love, first of all, I love Mike Vrabel. I played against I him, played with him at the Pro Bowl. <laughs> I love how he is the anti-Belichick right now when he's in press conferences. He's sarcastic. He's funny. He gives you a little bit without giving you too much. He says ridiculous things, but I think it makes it interesting, and it proves that you don't have to be a jerk in press conferences to hide the secrets that you have for that right. week's game plan. Yeah. No, you're right, man. He's he's not cutting off. He's not cutting off his dilly whacker. That's not <laughs> not not for a Super Bowl. I, I'm I'm trying to I, think of anything that I would give up to go back and get a Super Bowl. Not that a Super Bowl isn't important. Not that it wouldn't be really cool to win. Oh, I genuinely don't think there's anything I would give up. Would you give up a pinky toe? No. Would you give up a tooth? No. I'd give up a tooth, no problem. Because Which they one? Could screw a new one in there. You That's can pick no big one. Deal. You think if they pick the tooth, like a like a wisdom tooth. I'd give up a wisdom tooth. <laughs> I'd give up a wisdom tooth. For a tooth. Super Bowl. If that's what it's. Yeah, oh, whatever. Dude, those anyway. You can have You're my talk. You're the NFLer. Yeah. You're like, the anti machismo. If I give a, a, a NFLer. If I give a tooth that matters, I wouldn't have a job right now. Neither would Joe. You think Joe's going to the NFL network with one tooth? They make fake teeth. Dude, you could knock all the teeth out of my mouth and I'd go get veneers the next day and you would never know the difference. No, it'd probably need be your better. Teeth it'd probably improve veneers. my ability to be you on would TV. Need dentures. Veneers are just like over top of your shaved down tooth. So if it knocked out, I don't know. Well, what they can do is they just... They well, I don't want to like get into a, a dentist conversation, <laughs> Joe. The point is, right. I don't know what I would give up for a Super Bowl. That's, Not much. That's Nothing that's been important to me in my life, I would give up for a Super Bowl. Speaking of hypothetical nonsense, second down. If both teams, the Titans and the Ravens, switch quarterbacks right before the coin toss, who would win the game? The Titans with Lamar Jackson or the Ravens with Ryan Tannehill? Oh, that that's is, simple. That's such First of all, question. it's the Titans because the Titans already have the leading rusher in the NFL and Derrick Henry. Yeah. They run a great scheme, which is a Kyle Shanahan scheme drink. It's the wide zone scheme. That's what they were killing the Patriots on. And with Lamar Jackson back there, it would be absolutely sick. Now, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill's been playing very well, but he is by no means Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he threw for 72 yards last week. Um, that's I'm, I mean, he has been balling, but he still threw for 72 on 15 attempts. But whoever has Lamar has the X factor. It's actually not as clear cut as I, as I thought, started to think about it because the Ravens do have a really good defense and really yeah. good running game. Twelve Pro Bowlers. But 
Yeah, no, it's still Lamar. Lamar Jackson. But they can't win with Ryan Tannehill. Like, if they're running the same offense that they have right now with Ryan Tannehill, it's just not effective. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going, I'm going Ravens. People want to act like Greg Roman has invented this offense that's unstoppable. No, he's put together a pretty simple offense for an unstoppable quarterback. Yeah. Third down, who you got? Ravens, Titans. Hawk? Ravens. Ravens all day and tomorrow. The Terra on the NFL continues, and we gear up for one of the most exciting, most watched AFC championships this league has ever seen. Mm. Teaser. Joe? One of the hard things to do in the NFL is to win an emotional wildcard game on the road like the Titans just did in New England and then come right back, go on the road again to a team that's been resting and then preparing for you for two weeks. Uh, it ain't going to happen. Ravens all day. Moving on. Game three, Sunday afternoon, Texans at Chiefs. First down. Am I tripping or does the fact that the Texans beat the Chiefs in week six not matter at all now that it's playoff time. Joe? It doesn't matter. Uh, playoff time, everything's totally different. You throw the records out the window, like I just mentioned, with the wild card. You got to go uh, either on the road or the Texans played at home, but then you got to travel again to a team that's rested, that's uh, recovered, that's getting guys back from injury. And the Texans have just been kind of sleepwalking the last six, eight weeks uh, of the season and now in the playoffs. Uh, they got very fortunate Deshaun Watson turned into Michael Jordan like he usually does at the mm -hmm. end of the game. But uh, had they been playing against a Buffalo offense that was a little bit more productive and Josh Allen didn't go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in the <laughs> second half of that game, they would have lost. There was no way that Deshaun Watson would have been able to bring him back. They're just too slow of starting team. They're just not hitting on all cylinders right now. And the Chiefs are. I know they've had a couple weeks off, but that defense has been playing very well. They've been playing good football under Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, Tyron Matthews has been playing great. And, of course, the guy that nobody has been talking about lately is playing back up to last season's MVP form with Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Mahomes. J.J. Okay. Watt. <laughs> the guy that nobody's mentioned at all through these playoffs. J.J. <laughs> Watt. <laughs> yeah, no, Joe, you make some incredible points. I'm going with the Chiefs as well for the same reasons because – Deshaun Watson had to be Michael Jordan late in the game. They were slow to start early on, and the Bills actually should have won that game. When you are facing the Chiefs, Mahomes is not letting that go down. If late in the game, for everything that you bring, he's bringing right back to you, and I don't even think it's going to be as close as it was a week ago. And Tyron Matthew, under sneaky good player for this week, who was actually a sneaky revenge guy. game because he was with mm -hmm. the Texans, and mm -hmm. he also knows a lot about the players on the other side of the ball. So I'm going Chiefs. Hypothetical nonsense. Because the Texans beat the Bills last week, is it does it actually hurt their long-term future because now Bill O'Brien is going to be around even longer? Hawk? <laughs> mm, yes. They would have lost. I think Bill O'Brien probably would have got fired. Um, well, that was your sleeper. That was my sleeper fire pick. But I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he makes some bad personnel and trade decision situations. He should probably get a GM to take over that or someone he can work hand-in-hand -hand with. Right. Um, but the reality is they're progressing, right? And that's what you want out of your team. You want the team to be better than the year before. So now he's preaching they won the playoffs this year in the wild card weekend. Depending on how they play versus the Chiefs, again, they're a progressing franchise. I just don't know how long it lasts based on – some of the personnel decisions he made. Bill O'Brien has made personnel decisions and he's given up a lot in the trades, but every single one of them have worked out pretty good. Duke Johnson's worked out. Carlos Hyde's worked yeah. out. Uh, Kenny Stills has worked out. Uh, 
Jadavian Clowney, how was that? Laramie Tunsil has worked out. Yeah, yeah, Clowney didn't work out, but uh, that was more a, a matter of him not being able to get him under contract, right. and so he had to get something for him. Now, he didn't get a lot. So you can say all those trades he got fleeced because you would say maybe he didn't get good value for all of those, but as far as the players that he picked up, they've been very impactful. They've been big parts of their offense. Uh, and then with Clowney, yeah, you wish you had him, but sometimes you can't afford everybody. Yeah. Third down, who you got? Joe. Chiefs. Mm. Third game in the road, me and Joe agree. I'm going Chiefs as well. This is not good. I, I, I know. I need to start letting Hawk pick first so I can pick the opposite, just so I can kind of crawl back in or at least have some hope to, <laughs> to be win. able to get yeah. back into this thing. It's actually a brilliant strategy by me. Just pick who you pick, and it secures yeah, my four-game lead on you. <laughs> we need to do a silent ballot. Right. All right. Last game. Secret ballot. Sunday, late afternoon, Seahawks at Packers. First down. Guys, what's your favorite Seahawks-Packers moments? I'm going to give you three. 2003 playoffs, a.k.a. the Matt Hasselbeck, we're going to score pick six game. 2012, Monday Night Football referee fiasco, a.k.a. the fail Mary. Or 2014 NFC Championship, I call it the Brandon Bostic onside kick game. Hawk? Um, I really only remember like one of those. I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of football while I was playing. Worst. So I'm just going to be honest with you. Wow. I'm not sure I know what the Brandon Bostic onside kick game is. Mm. Seahawks were down 16, I think, and came back. They kicked an onside kick. It bounced off Brandon Bostic, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl. Oh, I do yeah. remember that, actually. Okay. Um, replacement ref fiasco. Walk me through that one. That was the, the Monday Night Football game with the replacement refs where one guy ruled a touchdown, one guy ruled an interception. The Golden Tate. Yes. Golden Tate. Okay. And then the refs all got rehired the next Definitely day. don't know what the Hasselback pick six game is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that game went into overtime. Hasselbeck said, we want the ball. We're going to score. And then he threw a pick six. Okay. You would have loved it. I, I did see the minute long clip. All right. So now that I'm refreshed, <laughs> um, my favorite Seahawks Packers moment. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't care about any of those. Of those three, I guess I would go see Hasselbeck pick six because it sounds funny. <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch the clip, but I'm going to get a good chuckle out of it now. That was 17 years ago. Joe, what do you got? Easily the best moment is the 2003 Matt Hasselbeck. We're going to take the ball and we're going to score a moment. <laughs> Seattle has won the toss. We want the so. ball and we're going to score. <laughs> oh, boy. And I'll remember this so vividly until the day I die because I was a young and impressionable freshman on the Wisconsin Badger football team. I was a diehard Packer fan. I remember watching this game, and you could hear so clearly on the ref's microphone Matt Hasselbeck going, we want the ball and we're going to score. And the Packers were like, oh, okay. It was like the very first throw. He throws, uh, it was like a little, uh, I think it was a quick out. I, I can't remember exactly the route, but Al Harris just goes, thank you very much. Step right in front of it, took the pick right to the house, game over. I mean, talk about the most humiliating thing that could ever happen. First of all, I've never heard on a ref's mic anybody say any trash talk whatsoever. <laughs> Not to mention, Matt Hasselbeck, not exactly the most widely known trash talker in the history of football. All of a sudden, just out of nowhere, he gets this swelling of pride and confidence that he's going to win the game. And he wants to just shout into the referee's microphone about how the Packers are going to lose the game. And then they wrote it right in his face. And I think it actually happened in Green Bay, which made it even better. So yep. uh, that was such a great moment. It's one of the greatest moments in NFL history, if you ask me. That's, I mean, as a Packers fan, I would imagine you remember all of these. Dude, it was so great. I mean, can I'm you imagine somebody trash-talking your team hilarious. to the ref at the kickoff and then losing, like, one play later, and that guy was the reason he lost? <laughs> That's hilarious. You don't get. You can't even write a script that funny. Golly! All right, what's next? 
Second down, hypothetical nonsense. Would you rather play with a quarterback with Aaron Rodgers' personality type or a quarterback with Russell Wilson's personality type? Hawk? I've always wanted to play with Russell Wilson. I don't know why. It's not even because of his personality. Um, I don't mind his personality. It's because of Sierra, isn't it? No. You just want to see her outfits in the little post-game tunnel with the friends and family passes. And you hope she'd give you a big booby hug. And you're like five foot three. She's like six foot tall. So her boobs will hit you right in the face. This is ridiculous. And I'm not even, I'm not even going to engage in this. Uh, I can tell you're lying. Just like your wife. (laughs) I I know you too well, Hawk. No, long before Russell Wilson uh, found his, his wife, Sierra. I've been a Russell Wilson fan uh, because he throws to anybody. I like quarterbacks who will throw the football to literally anybody because it means I get better stats. So I've always been a Russell Wilson fan. People say his his personality is bland. I say his personality is awesome. He's the same guy every day. I know what I'm getting with him. That's what I want out of a guy. I want to I want to know I get the same guy every day. Can I say I'm going to get the same guy every day with Aaron Rodgers? I don't think anybody can say that. Mike McCarthy wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say he got the same guy. He's going to say I don't know this guy. Who is this guy? Who's this stranger in my house? This is a an easy one for me. I think everything you're saying about Russ is accurate. Like as far as performance-wise, he throws to everybody. He's always saying and doing the right things. He's a consummate professional. He's the same person every day. He's all the things that I love in a football player. But when you're asking me as an offensive lineman, who would I rather play for? For me, it's Aaron Rodgers because I think he's funnier. He's got more personality. He sometimes steps in it with things that he says in the media. But overall, I think he would make my job as a left tackle uh, just more fun on a day-to-day basis because of his sense of humor. Last one, guys. Who you got? Third down, Seahawks at Packers. I'm going, Joe, I'll let you go first. I don't want you picking. No, 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 no. You go first, Mr. Hawkins. All right, well, I know I'm going to be different here because you're a damn homer. I'm going with the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are going to win in Lambeau. Uh, they're going to shock the world, even though the Packers got the bye week and the Seahawks didn't look great last week against the Eagles. I think Russell Wilson gets in there and gets it done, and then they tee up a rematch between them and the 49ers. And honestly, when those two teams play, it's anybody's game. But that's honestly the Seahawks' brand right now is look like shit, win at the end with some crazy Russell Wilson stuff. Like, that's who they've been all season. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's who they are in this game. And by the way, I could be a homer for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is one of the top five greatest players to ever wear the Wisconsin Badger uniform, and he's easily the best quarterback. So I could be a homer in rooting for Russ and Seattle because I'm not really a Packer fan anymore, even though I was as a kid. With that being said, I'm taking the Packers for <laughs> the only reason outside of that they're going to win. But they've had rest. They've got to watch what happened with Seattle and Philly. They watch Russell Wilson and that Seattle Seahawks offense and defense struggle against the Josh McCown-led Philadelphia Eagles. And I just think that the Packers are rolling right now. They're feeling themselves. Their defense is playing good. Aaron Rodgers wants to win a Super Bowl so he can rub it in Mike McCarthy's face. Everything's going good. And, by the way, Seattle's got to go into Green Bay and Lambeau, and it's very difficult to win in January in Lambeau Field. All right, well, that'll be, that'll be a differentiator for us, right? We can finally pick the – but you'll be able to gain, what, one game? Good luck. So now, that, I'm, now I'm only down three. Oh, look like the phone is ringing. Could this be our guy, the one and only Josh McCown on the Tomahawk Hotline, joining us here on the Tomahawk Show. Thursdays are for the players. <laughs>
Travis Kelsey. This entire time, I thought it was Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Kareem Jackson. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Yeah. Ooh. Here we go. Saquon. One, One two, two, three, four. four. I declare a thumb war. Do you think, Ma? Let's get it. It's Tomahawk Show. Yes. Is this the legendary Tomahawk podcast? Uh, you've you've reached the right number, my friend. Welcome to the yes. Tomahawk Show. You did it. Am I the hundredth caller? You were the hundredth caller. caller I... Man, yes. tell, us, tell us who you are, where you're from, bud. Yeah, bro, this is uh, my name's Billy Bob from <laughs> Sioux Falls, North Dakota. <laughs> uh, Long time listener, first time caller. Did, just tell me, did I win? Did I win the free koozie or not? <laughs> well. <laughs> We'll get to that, buddy. You got to answer a couple of questions to, to to make the determination. Let me tee you up properly. Um, this is what his. This is your second appearance on the Tomahawk Show. You don't I even think know. So. How could yeah. you remember? I mean, how would how could I forget? I, it's like it's <laughs> that's like a better I, question. Know, it's like my it's like my playoff appearances. They're so few and far between. Dude, unforgettable, unforgettable, um, nonetheless, my friend. All right, so now joining yeah. us here on the Tomahawk Show, we have the greatest quarterback. In NFL history, the oldest quarterback in NFL history and the first quarterback in NFL history. Josh McCown joins us here, me and Joe Thomas, on the Tomahawk Show. Josh, thanks for coming on, man. What a week. Thanks for, ha- thanks for having me. What a week. Finally, somebody got my accolades right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've been studying. We have really good researchers here to make sure everything is in tip-top shape. J- Josh, how you feeling, man? I mean, talk about gutsy doesn't even do the – the, the description justice of what we watched on wild card weekend playoff football, man. What, did, what are you feeling right now, bro? Uh, like emotionally or physically? I mean, emotionally, obviously <laughs> bummed, excited, all those things. Physically, uh, you know, I, I got to head back over to Lincoln Financial and see if I can find my hamstring somehow, somewhere <laughs> out here in the middle of the field. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's still over there, I think, or, or halfway down my leg by this point, but um, so, you know, I'm, I'm feeling all right, all things considered, but, uh, but football in 40 doesn't, you know, I don't it, know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't blend as well as you might think. <laughs> that, that is the question. The first thing that Hawk and I asked each other on Sunday night after we watched that game was, did you see Josh grabbing his butt? Did he pull his hamstring on a drop back pass? And I don't usually have a habit of asking guys about their butts, but I got to ask you, Josh, what happened to your butt in that game? Yeah, so that's you're, that's exactly what it was. So I uh, I made a throw and something sharp bit me back there. You tried and to grab as it. As far as I could tell, there were no do- there were no dogs on the field, and uh, so I was like, whoa, you know, and I was like. And that's never happened to me. Like, I've not really had any kind of soft tissue injuries, never really moved fast enough to pull a hamstring. So <laughs> I was like, what just happened? And, uh, and in my mind, I literally was like, this is 40 right here. This you is know? It. And, and I was like, uh, I blew it, not doing the TB12 method. I knew. <laughs> I knew I'd screwed up. And, um, and so, yeah, I was like, oh, man. And, uh, and so I think maybe um, I popped one of the tendons. Uh, off and then we kept it moving went 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 into halftime you know and you know made our adjustments talked to the docs you know they were you know looked around realized I was the only quarterback left so we kept it rolling went back out uh, in the third quarter 
felt something else pop again. Oh, I was like, man. oh man. This guy's well, falling more fun back there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's got to be dogs out here. Somebody, <laughs> something keeps biting me. And, uh, and so, so yeah, so about, you know, early in the third, kind of was, was working on, you know, a little bit of a torn hamstring. And, uh, and, um, uh, but we rocked it out, man. We made it work, kind of drug it around. But it, it's just, you know, if you've dealt with any of those injuries, like when you start to try to move and stuff, you just, there's no strength or power there. And so, um, so it was just kind of like life really kind of settling in, you know, and hitting me in the face right there in the middle of the stadium. Mm. Yeah. Now, now you were saying that you were never running fast enough to pull a hamstring or get a soft tissue injury. That now I appreciate the self deprecation and the humbleness, but. There's some videos on YouTube that you really need to check out if the listeners at home have not seen before. It's Josh McCown wearing a Detroit Lions outfit and absolutely schooling people playing wide receiver. Now, for you, the question is... Hold on. Before you ask him the question, Joe, you're going to ask him, but do you know what the funniest part about that clip is? And I didn't realize this till last year. We've, we've talked about this moment years and years and years. The person that was guarding him at DB was my older brother. The no way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Go back and look. It's yes. my older brother playing for the Patriots. <laughs> yes. How awesome is that, man? <laughs> I knew I knew we, there was a reason why, you know, and exactly. that we had a connection. And that was that. And, and, and divisional round head coach, Tennessee Titans, Mike Rabel making a tackle there. I, I kind of gave him the business on one, but, <laughs> you know, um, making a tackle. Yeah, so – Oh. Um, so yeah, a lot of history in that footage, man. So when you were in the huddle in that game, and you were playing receiver, did your quarterback? Who was the quarterback at the time? Was it Kitna? John Kitna, man. It was Kitna. John Kitna. Did- so, so yeah, it was sweet. Yeah. So they didn't. That was kind of what led to the green dots on the helmet. Like we were, we were down obviously because we were the Lions and we were in two minute <laughs> mode um, most of our life, and so. <laughs> we were down. And so I was just getting the calls in my helmet. So I'm like, just like, I'm lining up. And so we were talking about it the next day in the locker room, like, dude, it was sweet. You know, I'm getting the calls in my helmet. Like I didn't, we didn't have to tell, you didn't have to tell me the plays, you know? And, and, you know, I was like, looked at him sideways sometimes like, dude, I know the read on that. Like you should have thrown the ball over here, you know? And, and so we, we were laughing about that. Well, one of the reporters writes about it and the league is like, Hey, y'all can't, you know, the, the off season, they talk about it. And, Next thing we know, um, One green dot there's helmet. like, you know, green dot helmets. So That's crazy. I think that was part of what led to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was fun. It was really cool. So um, I, I imagine you know, that Kitna, as soon as he saw the uh, older brother Hawkins guarding you, they're like, oh, this is a mismatch. <laughs> we need to take advantage. You know, kind of like when a DB gets hurt and they put the replacement guy in, only yours was like reverse. They knew how scrubby Hawk's older brother was, and they saw your talents, and so they needed to go at him <laughs> right away. And they did. I mean, you, what did you catch, four passes in that game? I caught I caught three um, and then one there that was a, a very questionable. My longest one was very questionable OPI that happened right in front of <laughs> uh, the GOAT, Bill Belichick himself. And yep. so I think he had a little bit to do with it because I, I felt like – I didn't really feel like I pushed off. Yeah, it was my but, brother um, you pushed off of, man. That's not cool. I know. How about that? You're yeah. cheater. So maybe I did – yeah, I am a cheater. Maybe I did push off. It's also funny that all your former teammates are either in the Hall of Fame or NFL coaches and you're still playing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's a, laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just still rocking because I can't, I can't get those gigs, so I'll just keep playing. <laughs> so yeah. Fran Targeton looks over and he's yeah. like, "Hey man, I'm gonna line this to Steve Largent right down the middle of the field," and I'm like, "I got you, buddy." Yeah, so 
<laughs> it's also funny that I've never exactly. seen somebody pull a hamstring standing still. That was the first I've ever seen that. I've never seen someone just standing yeah. upright. And they, they always say that when you pull a hamstring, the lower it is, the better, right? Like, so the lower in your leg, the better the hamstring. Josh yeah. was as high as he grabbed. That was a butthole hamstring pull right there. <laughs> That's how you yeah, know it was not no, good. Like, literally, it was like, it, no, it popped off the bone. So, like, literally, like, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it felt like it was, you know, it felt like it was kind of your butt, butt cheek ish. But Jeez, yeah, man. it was, um, yeah. So. It didn't, it it wasn't, it didn't feel good. So beyond like, you know, the hamstring pull, I mean, just seriously, talk about like the feeling that you had making your playoff debut, 40 years old, you know, they literally talk you off of the desk at ESPN to come back and play for the football team and they give you four days off a week so you can go home and coach high school football. But now you're playing, (laughs) (laughs) it's the best deal I've ever seen in my life, Josh. I mean, your agent needs a raise. Um, But now you're playing in a playoff game, man, something that I'm sure you've dreamed about since you've been a kid, talk about that feeling and like all the different emotions that were running through your head during the game and even after when we see the viral moment with you and Zach Ertz uh, on the field and in the tunnel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's just that, you know, and, and you know, like I, like you, you mentioned in your thread and just, you know, that, that was so cool and I appreciate. I think it was just all those things um, that, that go into playing this game and this journey that I've been on and and really to kind of, the, the whole reason I came back was just to, to, to be with an organization like, like the Philadelphia Eagles and, and a team that had recent success and a chance to, to be a playoff team. And, and, you know, obviously before a lot of injuries, a Super Bowl type, type team and contender. And, and, uh, and, you know, you get this chance to go in and play. And my last, my last and only playoff game was in 2008. And I, you know, I didn't start that game either. And, uh, but it was my only one. And so I was just, I was just geeked about the playoffs in general, you know, like just mm-hmm. being on the sideline. I was just excited about, but, uh, but then all of a sudden now it's time to go out there and do it. And, uh, and it felt more just for me, just like, you know, other instances in my career where a guy goes down and you just go in, you know, I just remember thinking, just run to the fight, you know, run to the fight and go play and, 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 and enjoy it. And, uh, and, and just try to move your team. And, uh, and then afterwards, I think just the the flood of emotions of losing the football game, um, the magnitude of, of that game and, and my career and all, everything that just happens, you know, um, just kind of hits you. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's hard not to, not to feel those things in that moment. And mm-hmm. Zach's been awesome all year, just been a good friend and somebody to pick me up. So yeah, it was just kind of, just kind of all hit. Um, and, uh, and you know, I had a blast though, and yeah. it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing it. And and uh, and you know, Philly fans have been great, and it's a great environment. I wish we could have got it, but uh, but you know, it was really, really, really cool. Thankful to to have the opportunity to do it. So the second most anticipated forty-year-old plus quarterback future decision announcement happened this week. We're still waiting on the most anticipated announcement. Josh, what does the future hold for you? Mm, that's a good nice little media tee up yeah that was solid yeah. um break some news here in the tomahawk show josh it's the least you could do break some news on tomahawk. you are going to new england um, to be the starting quarterback when tom brady it, it, leaves to go start yeah. for the cleveland browns next yeah. season <laughs> that, that's right yeah and i i, I tell you i, I kind of like the take you guys got going with him him to cleveland it's kind of an interesting one yeah. I, i'm 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 feeling it, you, you know, but I think, I think the news we need to be breaking it. 
is there's a new title and it's called the Mick Tomahawk Show. Third <laughs> member coming and, and here I am. I love it. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, maybe that's it. No, I don't know what's up, man. I, um, you know how it is. I'm gonna. I, I, I got to figure this hamstring out first, and then uh, <laughs> get with the. Maybe we so, get right, with the family. Are they going maybe. with an autograph? Like, are they gonna have to use a cadaver hamstring to replace the hamstring that disintegrated <laughs> on national television, or are they gonna use a, a, a plastic one? Yeah. that has been. I feel like we need created. to break the news yeah, to Josh. Yeah. No, I think I think I think that's what we need to do. Like I need to, I gotta find like a really fast dead dude and <laughs> put his hamstring put his hamstring in here. You um, know what I mean? Right, Jesse so. Owens is from Ohio. I'm sure he's buried somewhere. He had some right. extremely strong hamstrings. If we could just find his, we could get you back out there in an there Eagles uniform go. next year. There, so there we're we're to yep. believe that Josh McCown is gonna get a hamstring uh transplant and play again next year, right? From so Jesse Owens. What are you talking to your family about? You're going to ask if they're going to give you one of their hamstrings, Josh? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no. I, <laughs> we'll, you know, you know, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what's up. And and uh, this is a good question. You're going to like this one, Josh. You ready? Yeah. How many of these? I'm going to talk to my family. Conversations have you had? Like how many off seasons? <laughs> because bro, we've been like, friends for like six like, years, and every single year, yeah. you had this. They're like, Dad, man, I'm not even coming home for this conversation. Yeah, no, I know. They're like, we're doing this again. <laughs> the, the thing where you you tell us, you know, you're you know you want to be done playing, and then you go play anyway, and uh, yeah. So right. no, I, I, I I'm. I don't know. We'll see. Like we we got a lot of things to figure out, but yeah. um, but it, you know, the yesterday was a good way to to, to finish it up. If that's it, and uh, I'm gonna get healthy and and you know, I see what's next. Got some got some seven on seven with the boys that I'm gonna coach up, and have fun doing, um, and uh, it's gonna be and cool. Just enjoy that. It's gonna be cool watching you back up your boys in the NFL, man. That's going to be like a really good moment. It's, it's going to be awesome. It will be. It's going to yeah. be awesome. If finally I can I can mentor somebody that'll listen to me. <laughs> right. Right. So you're 40. Your oldest daughter's 21, and she's in college. And I'll never forget when we were playing in Cleveland and we drafted Joe Schobert. She said something to you along the lines of, "Hey, that Joe Schobert's pretty cute." And I think she was probably 18 at the time now, but she's closer in age to more of your teammates than you are. Is there anybody in your entire NFL career that you would be willing to allow to date your daughter? What a weird question. Super weird question. What a weird question for an active NFL player. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. You know, I mean, like, that's what we expect. You know, like, I, I don't know. I would have to think that through as far as, like, looking through the list of guys that, you know, obviously could, could, take care of her and treat her right. And, um, you know, so, which is like, I I think zero. Zero. (laughs) Zero teammates. Yeah. Um, It's just funny because she's an adult. Not one good teammate. It's funny because she's like a, she's a a full blown ass adult, like over 20, can drink. There's nothing that limits (laughs) her. And she's your daughter and you're in the NFL. (laughs) It's just the funniest thing. No doubt. Like that. Yeah. The whole thing, bro. Like, like, can order a drink if she wants. I'm, I'm like, it's just the weird. It's just the weird thing, man. It's like, I, that, like one of one one of those things has to give. Like, 
either you can order a drink or I have to stop playing. Yeah. Like, we can't do both. <laughs> Everything can't be on the table. It just – Yes. It can't happen that way. Yes. All right. Well, yeah. you so, know, I, honestly, and I mean this sincerely, man, I have not had as much fun watching an NFL game probably in, in my entire time being a part of the NFL as I did – when you went in the game and me and my family are huddled around the TV, I wish you could have seen Austin running around, Keisha yelling at the top of her tux. I'm gonna text Natalie. I'm gonna text Natalie. Don't text Natalie right now. Everyone is texting her. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, we got a first down. Like you would have thought that like they called me up to go play quarterback for the Eagles mid game, man. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, bro. It was like it was such a good bonding moment for my family. We were so happy, so proud of you, so inspired, man. So can. Congratulations just to put a bow on on that playoff game, dude. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I appreciate you and your family. And I wish I could have had Austin out there running some routes for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate the support. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Wish we could have got it done. But but um, but it's cool uh, that it, it, it brought a lot of cool moments to, to people that I love like yourself. So uh, thank you, guys. That's love, man. Uh, I got one more question for you if you get out of here. Um, What's next, man? Regardless if you play this year, another six years, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, no, like you, you we've talked about it before, and yeah. you know, like I definitely, I love the game. I definitely feel like I want to be around it in some form or capacity. Um, my boys are in high school right now, and I've enjoyed coaching them. And, but I definitely want to coach, and and I would love to coach in the NFL someday. So yeah, um, I don't know, you know, what that timeline looks like, uh, but um, but you know, I want to do that. Uh, for sure, and um, and uh, and uh, and I'm gonna that that'll be like the end of the Tomahawk podcast because yep. you can you can uh, we can all come work together. Oh, we're out of here. You we're, we're you definitely up. need a water boy. So we're that's closing the mics up, buddy. That's what I'm the best at. The mics perfect. Are and no, no, and nobody drinks water better than Joe Thomas. So, yeah. <laughs> so what, I guess I said one more question, but I would like you to describe to Joe what the playoffs are like because he's never been in there. So oh, it's like, yeah, Mr. Playoff um, over here. I've Andrew been to three. You've been to two, Josh. <laughs> you know, we get Joe, it. Let him know how exciting yeah. it is, man, what he's missing out on. <laughs> yeah, Joe, it's so cool, man. It's like, like Disneyland, Joe. Should have been there. Yeah, it's like it's like Disneyland. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, apparently we get paid. I, I'm still, you know, still waiting on my check, but extra there's an extra paycheck, and <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's you know, it's funny. Like when you come to a winning organization and listen to them talk about that, and you're like, when you're not used to experiencing that, you know, it, it's it's pretty wild because they're all like like they budget that in their life you know what i mean they're like oh yeah our, play, our playoff money you know whatever you know what i budgeted like, into my yeah. life that ten thousand dollar pro bowl bonus but never oh, once okay. was i budgeting the playoff bonus <laughs> okay yeah i've never budgeted a yeah, pro bowl bonus in my in my in my in my life either so yeah i did i no, i haven't got us there so good for you joe yeah uh josh McCown, if you were hired as a head coach right now i think you'd be like the 14th um, oldest head coach, like currently in the league, there's like 15 coaches that are still. Holy, I, I know they're young, man. They, it's, it's getting younger. They um, come young, man. Um, Josh, so. we love you, brother. We thank you for coming on the Tomahawk Show, man. Obviously, uh, we joke about it, but you have a home here anytime you want, anytime you need. When you need us to start throwing your name around for uh, the coaching carousel, you just shoot us a text. We'll hit Adam Scheffner. We'll like, <laughs> they're all interviewing this guy, and you better get on board. You, you Trust me, we have we will campaign like you've never heard a campaign, brother. Thank you for coming <laughs> on, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. I love you guys. Give my, my love to the fans, and uh, 
and let's catch up soon. All right, now we say this all the time, and I, I think I've even said this all the time, even this tee up, but that was probably the best interview we've ever done on the Tomahawk show. And I'm going to go full out into recruiting him as the third member of the show to make this the McTomahawk show because it only makes way too much sense. And our climb to number one on the Oscar uh, hot list is going to be meteoric. All right, next. Is meteoric a word? Yes. All right, cool. Good. Next, we're going to a new segment Trick Plays. <laughs> All right, so here's how it works. John is going to read a question that is either a listener question or a fake question made up by our producers. We'll give our answer, um, but then we'll guess whether the question is a real submission from one of our listeners on social media. So follow us there. That's where we get them from. Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Tomahawk Show. Um, Or if it's a made-up question, by the staff here of the Tomahawk Show. So, John, kick us off. What do we got? Question number one. What's the dumbest thing you've ever heard a coach finding a player for? Joe? My favorite thing, and I actually really liked it, was when Eric Mangini fined Braylon Edwards $1,701 for taking the hotel water from his hotel room and then not paying the incidentals on the way out. And I liked it because... I'm a real stickler for the rules. I think if there's a rule, everybody should follow it. And if we all know what the consequences are when we don't follow it, that is a decision that we've made. And the fact that he told us what the fines are, and when you break that rule, you get fined. I don't care how trivial it is. I think it's important that you have those rules. And the fact that it happened to Braylon, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't answer the question. So that tells me you know how dumb that fine was. Because you said you liked it, but you know it was dumb. So my answer is... Trivial. I think it's dumb coaches finding players for being a pound overweight. That's stupid to me. And you know what? It's body shaming. And we opened this episode talking about fat, fat, and skinny fat. And uh, I get it. Weight is a sensitive topic. topic. And I, I think it's just dumb for them to find players based on their weight. If it's not like so heavy over the top that it, it affects how you're actually playing. Do you guys think that was a real question or a fake question? Hawk? Um, I think that was a fake question, Joe. That's a real question, but I got a question for Hawk. So (laughs) if being fine for being one pound overweight is dumb, Uh where do you draw the line? 10 pounds, hundred pounds, 200 pounds, two pounds. Where where should you be allowed to find them? Two pound grace. Do you find people for being underweight? No, it's not in the rule. The rule is you have to be under the weight that they give you. It's a dumb. So be under. Well, all right. For the record, it's rude. That was a fake producer question. Oh man! Hawk oh no! Oh my God! I can't believe it. <laughs> Hawk takes a one nothing lead. Question number two: yes. What's likelier, Bill Belichick as the next head coach of the Browns, or Tom Brady as the next quarterback of the Browns? Hawk, it's easy. It's Tom Brady. He's a free agent. Bill Belichick isn't going anywhere. Joe, if Bill Belichick is coaching, he'll be with the Patriots. If Tom Brady is playing quarterback next year. 
It's probably going to be somewhere besides New England. I think everybody is pretty clear on that because if they wanted Tom Brady back, they would have already done something. They wouldn't have dealt with the distraction that it turned out to be towards the end of the season. Uh, And so I think Tom Brady, he obviously wants to continue to play. He came out and said that. I think more than anything just to prove me wrong, which was my take at the beginning of the year that I said he was going to retire after this season. (laughs) Uh, But I think there's some places he might go. I think the Chargers is one spot. But if Josh McDaniels gets the head coaching job in Cleveland – don't be surprised if they bring in Brady for a couple of years because he's still got some left and he'd be a great mentor for Baker Mayfield. So you think that did they bring in Tom Brady, he's going to mentor Baker Mayfield. You think Baker Mayfield is going to go straight up backup QB mode and just and just red shirt after being the number one overall pick. And what do you think his options would be? First of all, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, and he's one of the greatest people of all time. So he would do a great job mentoring somebody. He mentored Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think it would be very easy. It would be very easy to convince him, hey, this is the best thing for you, for your career. Think about how great I would, if I was in that situation and a guy that I looked up to, like Jonathan Ogden or Walter Jones, was going to come in and be able to play for a couple years and kind of show me the ropes. And I knew that was going to benefit me for the next 20 years. And I was going to be a much better player on the backside of it. I, I wouldn't have the ego and say, no, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Yeah. And that, I don't think Baker does either. That would be cool if that was realistic. Because there's nothing somebody wants to do in their third year of their rookie contract than to sit on the bench when they're able to renegotiate after that third year. But he's not going to renegotiate unless he has a balls-to-the-wall amazing season like he had year one anyway. You don't if he think- had a, a season like he had this year, he's not going to want to renegotiate because he's not going to be able to get much money. So the guy who said he doesn't need an offseason quarterback coach because he can fix it himself is going to say he wants to sit behind Tom Brady in a year um, because he's not sure whether he's going to have a bang-out season to get a new contract. That I'm is not saying realistic. I'm not saying it's his. I'm not saying it's his first <laughs> choice. But I think when he's given the choice of either do this or take a hike, he's probably going to do that. Okay. Well, can I make one? I'm going to say the Browns have a better chance of bringing it, getting Bill Belichick to leave the Patriots to become the defensive coordinator at the Browns <laughs> than Baker Mayfield and deciding to sit behind Tom Brady okay. if he comes to comes to Cleveland. Hey, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Next Joe, question. Joe, do you think that was a real question or a fake producer question? I think it was real. Yeah, I think real too. You guys know your Browns fans very well. That yep. was uh, Nikki in Cleveland from Twitter. Thank you, Nikki, mm, for thanks, the question. Nikki. Question number three. Ask producer John, hey, how he feels about the Giants' head coaching hire. That's a fake question. Let's start off there. And second of all, uh, I actually like the, Brown, the, the Giants' coaching hire. Oh, wait, am I not? Do I actually ask it first? Because you can't really answer that question because it's the statement that tells me to ask you a question. So if I, if I think it's fake, do I get the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to do it and actually speak my piece? Uh, this is a hard game. Who made the rules here? Well, that's a loophole that I think you found, so keep it going, Hulk. You can <laughs> ask me after. All right, well, let's start here. John, what do you think about the Giants coaching hire? I actually wasn't sure how to feel. Uh, my first thought when I heard it was Hawk predicted this correctly. Shouts to Hawk. Dang. He probably knows something or he's just really smart or <laughs> he's got some like magic powers of prediction. Um, and then we talked about it in the office and you had some really great insight about Joe Judge from your Patriots days, mm-hmm. which I think you should share with the audience right now. Yeah, no. So when I was there, um, John, I don't know if you've heard this or not. Um, we may have talked about it. So I play with the Patriots. I don't know if you've known that. Have you heard that? That we discussed? Uh, first I've ever heard of okay, that. Okay, we'll take a drink. Um, anyway, so I was with the Patriots, and in my time with the Patriots, which was about a month and a half, two months before I retired before camp, 
Joe Judge was the special teams coordinator. Now, at the time, Chad O'Shea, who's the offensive coordinator in Miami, he was the wide receivers coach. Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator. Um, and just Patriots in general have a different way of doing things. It, it was weird when I was trying to learn the offense. Nick Casero was actually the one on the field telling me the routes because everything in New England is that intertwined where even the front office knows the offense and defensive plays and system mm. that they can teach it as if they're coaches. Um, that's how much that they all work together. Well, Joe Judge was a guy that I was the most impressed with when I was in the the New England building outside of Bill Belichick because of the way he commanded the room, because of the way he could go talk to each position and player, and he would help on offense and he would help on defense. And obviously being the special teams coordinator, he had to work with everybody. So even him being the wide receiver coach this past year, which everyone's like, oh, they hired a receiver coach. Joe Judge is one of those guys that if the linebacker coach had left right before the season, he Joe Judge would have been the linebacker's coach. If the running back coach decided to leave before the season, they would have made Joe Judge the running back, running back coach. So him being a receiver coach isn't a detriment. It was actually a positive in the fact that that's how versatile he is. That being said, and um, I know we've said about the show I shouldn't ramble, but I'm rambling because I gave a really good Twitter thread that I was really proud of. And I talked about special teams coordinators being a better breeding ground for being a head coach than offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators because they're the only coach that deals with both offensive and defensive players on a daily basis commanding that room. They're the only coach who has to oversee multiple units, um, which is why they call it special teams. Um, They're the only coach who has to make in-game decisions based on what the offensive defense does in a game, and they have to watch both of those intently. Um, And they don't have a system that they're tied to. So if you watch Harbaugh, he cuts his offense. He'll fire it off as a coordinator in the middle of the season like it's nothing. He's fired multiple offensive coordinators. He's changed offense multiple times because he's not tied to any of them. And whatever is clever, that's what he's going with. If it takes reimagining the entire offense to fit personnel, i.e. Lamar Jackson, that's what he does. So that was my take on Joe Judge. I was impressed with him, and I tweeted two years ago when Josh McDaniels fake took the Colts job and was going to make him a special teams coordinator. I said, Joe Judge will be a head coach in this league, and nobody even know who he was. And here we are. Here we look at us, Joe. Who would have thought? I, th- I think it's a really good take. I don't want to belabor this. I already drink. That's his way of um, saving. You just belabored it, Hawk. So <laughs> you belabored it, uh, Dick. This wasn't supposed to be a belabored segment here, but um, the one thing that you did miss, although you were very correct, because offense and defensive corners, we think that oh, they have a creative scheme that's great and so every fan in the world and a lot of owners are like yeah that's gonna be my next head coach but really the scheme that you run as a offense or defensive coordinator doesn't really matter and right. outside of maybe like kyle or mcveigh right. where you came in and you became basically the offensive coordinator and you had all the head coaching duties like just because you were good calling plays doesn't mean that you're going to be good in the role of a head coach, which is more about leadership and discipline and putting together a staff and structure and managing coaches and players. Um, But a special teams coach, his role is much more similar and closely mirrored to a head coach because when you're a special teams coach, you have small windows that you get to address the team. You have to command the room. You have to lead guys. You have to motivate them Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to get through to them in those short windows that you get like 
10 minutes of practice here, 10 minutes of meetings here, 10 minutes before the game here. Um, just like a head coach, whereas coordinators, they have long periods of time and they're with those guys a lot more often, but then they all have all these assistants that deal directly with the players. Whereas a special teams coach, he doesn't really have that layer of coaches underneath him. He's got to coach all those guys. Right. And when you're a head coach, you got to be able to connect with all those guys in short periods of time. And so I think those, uh, personality traits that make you a good special teams coach carry over much better to the head coaching role than coordinator to head coach. And the players nine times out of ten don't want to do that shit. That's a great point. <laughs> you know, I never played special teams. Exactly. Joe, I've heard just never even been to a special teams meeting. <laughs> Although I had to sit through those meetings when we had Mangini and Romeo, he made all the rookies sit through there uh, for no reason other than just make us go to more <laughs> meetings. Even though I wasn't on any of the units, he was really good at ruining lives. Dude, I told you they thought of every way to make your life miserable. By all accounts, Joe Judge was handpicked by Bill Belichick from Nick Saban's staff. Joe Judge was under Bill Belichick's wing, so I love all of that. I think if he's going to be a successful Giants head coach, he has to, has to outlast Dave Gettleman because Dave Gettleman's days, I think, are numbered. Do you guys think that was a real question or a fake question? Fake question. That was a real one from you. <laughs> it was actually a real listener question. What? Somebody out there gives a shit what I think. Really? Unlike, unlike the host of this podcast. Are you? Shout to Tim H. Yourself? on Twitter. Are you counting yourself as a listener? Is that a burner account? No, I have is burner it? accounts. This is not one of them. This okay. is Tim H on Twitter. Right. Shouts to you, Tim. All right, Tim You'll H. be a guest on my podcast someday. Yep, it'll, be, it'll be John talking to himself. <laughs> it'll be like the Colin Cowherd show. You guys got that one wrong. I have a podcast where I talk to myself. Nobody <laughs> listens. Question number four. Do you think the NFL needs to change the Rooney rule? Hawk. Um, I'm going to tee this one up to Joe since he's the, the resident Rooney rule expert. And I'll go after him. Since when am I the Rooney Rule expert? <laughs> well, that's how the NFL wants to make it. They're like, oh, well, we'll get Joe's insight on the Rooney Rule. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get this random white offensive lineman fat guy. He must know a lot about the Rooney yeah. Rule. Um, I think it needs to be updated. It needs to be changed because obviously the intent of the rule is to get minority candidates in coordinator, head coaching, and front office positions. And there has been actually a decline in minorities in those positions. And so... Obviously, the current rule, while the spirit is great, it just doesn't seem to be working because most owners in the NFL are old white dudes, and they grew up in a time where they're probably mostly friends with white dudes, <laughs> and so they're going to feel more comfortable right. with white dudes. And so naturally, yep. unless they really have a conviction to hire one of the minorities that they interview, for the most part, they're probably going to hire white dudes. <laughs> and so that's why you, even though there's plenty of minority candidates that are very well qualified and that have moved their way up the ranks, they never, they're not making the jump as often and as prominently as you'd expect, considering the league is primarily minority driven. And a lot of those guys are trying to get into the coaching ranks, but there's this, uh, this barrier that still is existing, um, that obviously needs to get knocked down and how to do that. I don't have the answer right now. Maybe you need to uh, allow for more minority candidates to interview for the job. So it's not just, hey, we'll interview the one token black guy and we right. can cross that off our list and we've we've crossed off our uh, ne uh, necessary obligations for the Rooney Rule. Maybe you need to bring in more than just one minority candidate to interview. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear Hawk's take because I know that uh, we have talked about this a little bit in the past yeah. and you've thought about this a lot. I mean, we talk about it every year because it's the same thing that happens over and over again. I want to start by saying you explain that beautifully, Joe, like from start to finish, and I mean that. 
Um, so here, here's here's my suggestion for the Rooney Rule. Um, the reason why it doesn't work, and again, we have talked about it, but this is a podcast, so we're going to continue to talk about it, is there's no coordinators who are black. There's like two offensive coordinators who are black, which is Eric Bieniemy and Ryan Leffridge. Um, there's more, it's typically more black defensive coordinators than black offensive coordinators, but there's not even a lot of those now for the same reasons Joe talked about. Um, when guys grow up around a certain amount of guys, just like the owners kind of see themselves, whether that's unconscious bias or not, they understand where someone comes from. They feel like they identify, they may see something in them that they can't see in somebody else that they might not understand or have a lot in common with head coaches are the same way. The only way to, for the Rooney rule to work, and it won't be a Rooney rule. You got to do away with the Rooney rule. No, it's going to be something different. But you got to get you got to get the rule. organization to hire best available coaches across the board. Stop hiring head coaches and letting them hire their sons, their nephews, their buddies, their friends from college, the guy that they worked with seventeen years ago. I get there's a chemistry thing. Yes, that's real. But again. You're not the Bengals aren't going to draft Joe Burrow and then tell him, hey, go get your three wide receivers because you've worked really well with them in college. When they drafted RG3, they didn't say, oh, yeah, go get Josh Gordon, um, Kendall Wright and Terrence Williams because you looked great with them in college. And I see that you guys have good chemistry. Right. That actually might make a lot of sense from a lot of standpoints. But the reality is the same way you go get players to get the best available. You should do that with coaches. The Lakers actually did that this year and they just went and go got the best coaches, brought them together and say, hey. Figure out how to make this work. And the same way players do, quarterbacks do, head coaches, go get the best offensive coordinator available, go get the best defensive coordinator available, go get the best wide receiver coach available, go get the best cornerback coach available. And no, you all come from different walks of life. You might not all be buddies, but figure it out. You're grownups, just like the players do. Like, we don't like each other. There's players Joe played with he didn't like. Joe didn't like me, goddammit. The whole year we Still played. Don't. Still don't. Still don't like Thank me. You. We figured out. We, sit, we come here work every day because guess what? Uninterrupted has a Rooney rule that works. So when they said, Joe, you want to you want to guess? You got to interview Hawk first. Hawk knocked the interview out of the park, and here we are, Joe. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? But the, the question is, though, how do you grade who's the most qualified candidate? Like, that's subjective. It's not like you can win or lose the game of offensive coordinating. Yeah, it's all subjective. Like, how do you grade who's the most qualified wide receiver? You don't. You think that you know best. You interview him. You say, but the market, I think this the guy market is the best guy. answers that question because you see the guy on film and you're able to kind of get some type of ranking of the best receivers or at least tiers of receivers. So how would you do that with head coaching candidates? That's the real question. The same the way you, they the do question. it every year. How do you think they make the determination who their head coach is? They look at well, your they resume. interview some people that are popular and they have these uh, criteria that they think is important. And then they decide, usually them and a couple close associates, but usually it's the owner that wants to decide. Then they decide, yeah, I like this guy the best. I think he's the guy that I can work with to build this team. And that's to me, that's what it comes down to is because in the end, old white owners, usually the tiebreaker is I understand white coaches better than I would understand a minority coach, mm -hmm. even if both of them are equally qualified. Because there's plenty of qualified white coaches out there, just like there's plenty of qualified black coaches. Right. But when, a lot of times these decisions are really close because there's guys that are very well qualified. I mean, there's only 32 of these positions, and there's probably way more than that number of coaches that qualify that could do a great job in these situations. And so the tie-breaking, whether it's conscious or unconscious, I believe it's unconscious bias, mm -hmm. a lot of times is I'm going to go with what I know, which – which is typically 
the people that I grew up associating with right. for no fault of their own. But there's a lot of segregated cities in this country yeah. still. I mean, where I grew up in Wisconsin, there's a lot of black folks in Milwaukee and then a little bit in Madison. And outside of that, it's mostly just white country people. Like that's not anybody's fault. That's just the way the country is right now. Right. It's not as uh, diverse throughout from, you know, coast to coast as uh, maybe it should be. So, I, I mean, so that same process they take for a head coach, why can't they do that for offensive coordinator? Why can't they do that for defensive coordinator? So that's a great, that's a great question. I think maybe that's what you get to. And But here, here's one thing I will say, uh, if I'm going to put a bow on this and say that the, there's some sunshine on the horizon, typically offensive coordinators come from a quarterback type background and the league has typically been white at the quarterback position. Now that's changing. You mentioned that there's more black defensive coordinators because as a defensive coordinator, you could typically come from any position if mm -hmm. you have experience as a player. So the fact that there's now many more black quarterbacks in the NFL, I think that means that you'll start seeing more black offensive coordinators in the NFL and thus those are usually the guys that are getting hired to be head coaches. Look at uh, Byron Leftwich in Tampa Bay, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there is some sunshine on the horizon. Even if we do nothing, it's going to get better. There's going to be improvement towards more diversity that reflects the state of the game being played on the field by the players. Um, but how do we get there faster and in a more equitable manner? And I don't mean equity like you should just hand it out just because of what your race is, but mm -hmm. to remove bias from the coaching hiring process will give you a more qualified, better candidate in the end. Yeah. So removing bias from any decision-making, in my opinion, is a good thing. So how do we remove bias, implicit or unconscious? That's the question. Well, we can't just let it get to that point. And I get what you're saying, and you're right, but it's going to take a concentrated effort because here's why. Me and you are also guilty of this. You know why? Because we sat up here and we talked about Eric Bieniemy, and we said he's going to be a great coaching hire, and he's he's led the number one offense the last two years and the best quarterback in the NFL. Um, but but what is the knock on him, Joe? What is the knock that we gave on this show? Honestly, I don't even know what the knock on him, but he got no traction whatsoever. So when you're sitting here in our roles as you know pseudo wannabe media guys, we just say we shit. talk about the guys that are in on everybody's lips, right? You know, and and you know. If he's not even being interviewed, he's not being talked about at all, it whether it be sense. from the teams or from the other national media. I mean, is it up to us to say, I, I know he's not getting any interviews, but everybody should hire him. Yeah. I mean, but it's like this. They say he doesn't call plays, right? right yep. It was like, oh, Eric Bieniemy doesn't call plays. Okay. Did Matt Nagy is, call is plays? Is that verified? You know, it doesn't matter because Matt Nagy didn't call plays. And nobody said that when Matt Nagy was the hottest head coaching candidate. Oh, but he doesn't call plays, right? It, it was just, Taylor? you know. Zach, Zach Taylor. I mean, Zach Taylor's not calling plays. Well, he's no. a receiver coach. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. So you, we can't knock yeah. Eric Bieniemy for not calling plays when we've seen in recent history and every single year there's coaches that are being hired Joe Judge. that aren't calling plays, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying Eric Bieniemy is going to be a great head coach. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying when he does get his opportunity, he's going to win a Super Bowl, and that's fine. But you want to give minority coaches also, when they build their resume up, and do all the checkbox things and get the experience and become the best off the offensive coordinator for the best position they work their way up, they get the same opportunities that are awarded to everybody else. Give them the chance to fail, right? Because Freddie Kitchens got the chance to fail, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
And we see it happen all the time, which is fine. We don't know if he's going to work out, but still, yeah. So that that's the other thing we've talked about is second chances for black head coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Marvin Lewis, Jim Caldwell. I guess it would be a third chance. Hugh Jackson, yeah. Raheem Morris. These guys don't seem to get as many second and third chances. Yeah. Well, Hugh, Hugh got a second chance. I think getting a third chance as a head coach is super rare. But what about um, if, in the first two chances, you had more winning seasons than losing seasons, right? Jim Caldwell went eleven and five. Six and ten. No, I, I, hey, you and I are on the on the same page with Jim Caldwell. I think the perception with him that he's fighting is that he only did it because he had Peyton Manning. But then he went to Detroit and did a very good job. And it's like people kind of forgot that he did a really good job in Detroit. Now, one thing that I think is kind of BS is that typically fans and sometimes the decision makers, because the guy doesn't just go ballistic in the media and you don't see him losing his cool on the sideline. We, th- we have this perception that he's just not a good coach when we have no idea what he's like behind the scenes. Maybe he's just a very uh, put-together, emotionally controlled person. I mean, you don't see Belichick really losing his cool ever, but nobody would say he's not a good coach. But the perception, for some reason, with some of these guys that don't go ballistic on the sideline and uh, don't go crazy in the media is like, oh, they're soft, or they maybe they're not involved in the coaching right. um but jim caldwell I, I i you know he had that bad stint at wake forest um but other than that I, I think he's done a great job and and he's been kind of screwed throughout his career yeah i agree in 2002 when the rooney rule was created people applauded it and two, by 2006 there were seven minority head coaches about 22 percent of the league mm-hmm. this year assuming the uh, assuming the Browns don't hire a minority head coach, there will be three black head coaches plus Ron Rivera. That's less than 15%. 70% of the league is African-American. What do you guys think is a healthy number of black head coaches in order to show progress? And I don't think there's a certain number. It's just to show progress, right? Like we, if we were, if we stayed the same, right? If there was like, you know, five, six or something like where it was that it's, it's height and not regressed to at one point, two head coaches, you know, then I don't think the conversation will be happening. But it's tough because Tony Dungy is no longer in the NFL mm-hmm. and no longer breeding minority coaches and championing them for the opportunities to go other places. Because Tony Dungy is a voice that people trusted, right? And so when he says Jim Codwell, you know, Mike Tomlin, they're going to call him and they say, hey, what do you think about these guys? And put them in position. So do you guys think that was a real question or a fake made up producer question? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say real because I definitely got it. I don't know if you guys got it, but I'm gonna say real. Joe? Uh fake. It's a real one. There we go. Mitchell Smooth from Instagram. Mm. Thanks for your very real So real. Very good question. Yeah. Uh that last was a, one that guys. was a rabbit hole. <laughs> last one. I, I was interested to hear you guys' takes on that one. I think we I think we uh, I, I think it's important though, just to one more thing is like Sure. To say that the Rooney rule is working, there's not like a quota or like a number. Like, well, once right. we get seven black head coaches, then <laughs> you know we can forget about it forever. Right. Like, it, it's just a matter that the per- predominant race in the NFL is black players. Mm-hmm. And typically, um, the pipeline from coaching comes from playing. Mm-hmm. So you would expect all other things kind of being equal that there would be more black coaches than there would be white coaches just because that's the number of players that play in college and the NFL. And because it's not that we assume there's some type of bias at play here and something that is unconsciously happening in the decision-making process that is not allowing qualified black candidates to move from 
either coach, uh, excuse me, from, from player to assistant coach, assistant to coordinator, coordinator to head coach, or anywhere along that line. Right. And trying to figure out why that is and removing it, I think is a good thing and it would be great for the NFL. And not even that it has to be more. It's that there's one black general manager, mm. right? So they're not getting like, you know, front office positions and being like, there's no one in position of powers. And if there's nobody in that that power, then for the same reasons why there's the unconscious bias, there's no one to give minority candidates a real look, you know? So be interested to see how it progresses. What do we got next? Last one, guys. We're going to end on a bit of a lighter note. Is a peppermint patty a candy bar? Oh, wow. This is ridiculous. Mm. Mm. Candy bar gate continues. Hawk, is a peppermint patty a candy Damn. bar? No. No. What? No. It's not, a, it's not a candy <laughs> now bar. Now you're just trolling us. No, I, I peppermint patty is answer. not a candy bar. You think an M&M patty? is a candy yeah. bar, but you don't think a peppermint pat- patty is a candy bar? I can't help you. No, it's not in an oblong-shaped wrapper. I'm going to say no. It's a circle. You but, told me Reese cups weren't candy bars. A bar, so. a bar of soap is a circle. A bar of soap is a is a bar. It can be circle shaped. Some hotels. <laughs> I don't know. It's not candy, now, now we've our so roles are reversed. Doesn't, doesn't, I think I pepper doesn't meet the dichotomous candy <laughs> test. Is it a candy? <laughs> yes or no? Is it is a soap bar? A yes candy? Or no? Is that the question you're asking <laughs> if, me? Then both of these have to be correct. <laughs> Joe, is uh, candy I'm going to say it is not a candy bar because it's candy, but it's not really truly a bar. It's a small circle, just a little bit larger than what would be an oversized M M&M. M. Not a candy bar. Sorry. Candy bar has to be in a but rectangular it made me think. package. Which is why M&M's qualify? Which is why M&M's qualify, which is why Reese Cups qualify. It has to be a rectangle. Learning so much from this podcast about candy <laughs> shapes. Yeah. Was that a real or fake question, guys? That was a that was a that was a that was a real question. That was that was a fake one for sure. I think John made that one up. That was a real question. Wow. I am Damn. A, a, <laughs> Thank, thank you, Mark Jirik. Sorry, I'm going to get this wrong. Thank you, Mark, on Facebook for that question. And congratulations to Hawk on going four for five. Joe. Still oh. think I went five for five, but we'll leave that one. We'll, <laughs> we'll never know the real answer of whether or not. Joe, we'll play this game again so you can redeem yourself. If you went one for five, better luck next time. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Joe, you have final thoughts, man? Final thoughts. I sure hope that the divisional round weekend is as satisfying as wildcard weekend was because – that was the most enjoyable weekend of football that I've seen in a long time. And if the divisional round is even half as good as the wild card round, I'm going to be a very, very happy man when we talk <laughs> on Sunday night. I love that, man. I'm a little scared, but I do love it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining the, the, the Tomahawk Show and listening in. Special shout out to my man, Josh McCown, coming in and making this a very, very special episode. We will be back late Sunday to recap all of the divisional playoff round games. Until then, Josh. Tell them what they can do. Hey, this is Josh McCowan. Joe Hawk yourself.